Welcome to another edition of Making Money. Ron Hebert, the financial coach, is with us, retired portfolio manager. Spent a lot of decades in the financial industry. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Used to talk about finance on the radio a lot. Ron and I have known each other for a long time. We like to sit down and talk about this stuff, and that's why we started this podcast to try to share a little bit of information about investing, about financial literacy. And we touched in our Rip Van Winkle portfolio about sectors that can be you know, stand up a little more durable, durably than others, Ron. And one of them was the insurance industry. And this is such a big, big part of society today. I don't think people really think about it enough, do they? It has investment advantages that, frankly, are ignored by people as they rush on to get into the newest... Uh, latest craze, yeah. Yeah, latest craze. But, you know, the advantage of this sector is they tend to be less volatile than the overall market. So when markets are going down, especially, they tend to go down less. And they're also one of the few sectors that can see their profits increase in a rising interest rate environment. So, Which we find you know, ourselves in right now. Yeah, Exactly. So uh, there's some real advantages to owning in insurance companies. And I think people would be surprised at, at the number of different types of insurance companies there actually are. So let's start with that list. There's the ones that are sort of, you know pretty obvious or are property and casualty insurance like you got to have insurance on your home right or your or your rental property you want to insure your belongings yeah and so really property and casualty is just that it's insuring for most people it's insuring their home and it's insuring their car and you know maybe you have a boat or you've got a plane or you've got a cottage out at the lake or uh, and this is typically uh, what you're going to get property and casualty insurance for and uh, you know, life insurance. Well, well yeah. I've had life, in, I've had life insurance um, since I was 30 years old. And most people, especially if they're having a family or they have a spouse, um, they're going to get insurance. Or if you have a business, you're going to get uh, insurance on the other partner, so that if 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 someone isn't around. Uh, the death benefit is going to aid that those that are still left. So life insurance is a huge business. And, and, you know, the life insurance companies also, if you look at the company that you work for and check behind the scenes who's in charge of the pension plan, a lot of the benefits, well, many times you'll find that the life insurance companies actually are doing the administration and the investments on this. So uh, they've got a lot of feelers out there in a lot of different areas. This is where that term you used in our Rip Van Winkle show about the float comes into play, right? Like, I've, you know, people say, well, gee, I buy this life insurance and it costs me $100 a month just to pull the number out of the air. So I pay $1,200 a year and I have it for 40 years. I've, I've put, what, $48,000 into it, but the policy's for $100,000. How does that work? But they've used that money over the years. They've invested it and they've made nothing but money on it, right? They've made money on it. And, of course... There's a specific amount that they've got to make, and that obviously goes back to the policyholders. But above that, that float can be used for just benefiting uh, the shareholders of the company. And two big examples, or one big example that we can talk about, and we'll get that, uh, give that a little more detail a little later in the program, certainly is Warren Buffett. I mean, he's taken the float and that's the difference between money coming in and money being paid out. And often, like in life insurance or, you know, you might drive for 40 years and never have an accident. 
all those premiums go in there and they get to invest that money for 30 or 40 years. And for companies that do it well, often making money off the float or all that money just sitting there is going to make them a lot more money than just the difference between what they, uh, the premiums they take in and the premiums they take out. Often that's their biggest source of income. So people have to understand that they, these companies make money in lots of different ways. Health insurance, that, that one's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, I mean, um, and, and individuals have health insurance, but health insurance is generally provided by the big, uh, big corporations where you get extra health benefits like dental. You get extra health benefits um, for, for specific uh, ailments or treatments in, in drug, um, you know, with the retirement benefits that I had, well, there's a, there's a drug package that went with it. There's a foreign travel package that went with it. And so there's different packages that you could have opted into uh, before you retire. And of course, uh, the insurance companies are making money off this too. Let me ask you a question related to that right now. In the recent uh, alliance between the Liberals and the New Democrats, one of the things that was talked about was Pharmacare and, uh, what's the other one I'm losing it, uh, Dental Care. And I, and I wondered, how is there going to be an impact on companies? I would think companies would sit back and say, well, why are we providing these dental policies to our employees? We could save a lot of money here by canceling that if the government's going to do it, right? Well, interestingly, I sat down with a, a friend of mine who's a dentist in Alberta, and he was talking to me about uh, dental benefits program the Alberta government has for seniors. And if you look at all the exclusions of the, the income exclusions and the fact that uh, the, the, the government has their own payout standard, which is way, way lower than any of the dentists generally use, it generally takes um, a policy that you'd think would be very widespread and limits it to a very, very, very small number of people that actually can use it. And it's going to be interesting to see when we finally get legislation on drugs and dental. It's going to be interesting to read the fine print because I would bet that if you look at the fine print closely, it is going to be so exclusive that uh, you'll find that a lot of people are just not going to be able to benefit off of it for the simple reason that if they just opened it wide up. The cost would be enormous. The cost would be totally enormous. You know, so I, I, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, they'll come out with a policy that's a quarter page, and then they'll have 60 pages of fine print behind it, and that's going to be the, the part that really determines That's where the how, rubber beats the road, yeah. Yeah, right where the rubber beats the road, and I just have a feeling that it's going to be so exclusive that it's not going to have a big dent on these guys. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see, and that's... Uh, that's a good risk that you brought up. Well, the one thing it will have a big dent on is the taxpayer, but we don't want to get into that right now. All right, specialty insurance, and there's a lot of that out there, right? Yeah, for example, if, if you have a company that uh, you're in the demolition building business, you blow up buildings, um, <laughs> yeah. well, there's a, there's a lot of risk in that. If you're a quarterback, you know, like you're, you're, you're Brady, well, you, are, you just know that the Buccaneers have a lot of insurance on this guy or, you know, a, a hockey player, or if you're, you're, you're a dancer, uh, you know, the, often they'll insure a dancer's legs. Or a singer so, insures you know, their voice. I, I've heard of that in the past, right? Yeah. There's all these specialty, uh, insurance lines that 
that you have. You know, specialty insurance. If you're a if you're a, a shipper of you know, for example, the pipelines, they'll have insurance that will cover in case they have a leak. So there's all kinds of insurance, and and uh, often it's very very lucrative because typically for specialty insurance, usually it's a one off. And uh, the insurance companies will make you pay through the nose to be able to get this kind of insurance. So generally, it's very profitable for the for the insurance companies. And I think this is where you want to touch on Mr. Buffett reinsurance. This has been a big part of Berkshire Hathaway for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. For example, if if you're insuring houses along the east coast of the United States, which is prone to hurricanes, and you get way too many houses in one concentrated area and you say to yourself, well, that just gives us too much risk. So if you had a concentrated storm coming through, it could really hurt us. Well, you'll reinsure it. You'll sell off part of that risk of catastrophic losses to other insurers. So you'll spread the risk around. And, you know, um, this is extremely important in the event of natural disasters or, or mass casualty events for sure. And I know that, as I say, Mr. Buffett is big, big on insurance and reinsurance. So now let's break them down into into two groups. Insurance companies break down companies that insure assets against risk like cars and homes, and those that sell life insurance and other investment profits. So how do they make their money? Well, the first is the underwriting profit, and this is the profit that happens when fees received in the form of insurance premiums are greater than the fees paid out in claims. And so that's rather intuitive. And you'd think most companies would have a good handle on this. But that's why I've always liked uh, Canadian companies or a few of the bigger American ones um, because they manage risk. But if you start getting a company that outperforms everybody else by a mile in their underwriting profit, as they call it, uh, you need to take a close look. Uh, American International Group, uh, AIG, went bankrupt, and they were one of the biggest insurance companies in the world. Because they were insuring everything, and they weren't charging a lot of premiums. And you've got to charge premiums in accordance with the amount of risk the company's taking on. And, of course, the risk was way higher than the premiums they received, so their claims were enormous. And the company failed spectacularly in 2009. So underwriting profit's important. Profits from investing the float. We've touched on this. Like, this, is, uh, this is how they do business, right? Yeah, and, and of course, uh, when you've got car insurance, for example, uh, I mean, I look at the last time I had a claim on car insurance. It was probably, I don't know, 30 years ago. So they've been taking my premiums every year for the last 30 years, and they've been able to reinvest those premiums and, and make money off of it. And of course, there's people that, that are more accident prone than I am, but you know, especially young men, they get charged for it too. They get charged uh, three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a year in insurance. And companies that have done a particularly good job investing in their float are Berkshire Hathaway, which is uh, BRK.B in the U.S., and the Markel Corporation, and I own both of them, ML, MKL, uh, they're in the U.S. Uh, they, these companies have grown to enormous size, and much of their profitability comes from this float that's laying around that they're able to use and invest so that they get a return that's higher than they need to satisfy their claims and the rest of it they can take. Management fees must be in here somewhere, aren't they? 
You know, management fees are everywhere, Gord. <laughs> if you buy a product, there's some there's a management fee embedded in there someplace. And of course, you look at many of, especially of the life insurance companies now. Um, they have their own investment arms, and they have their own salespeople that sell not only insurance but sell annuities, that sell funds, that sell RSP products, sell all kinds of things, and even ETFs, and some of them are even getting into stocks now. So uh, they earn a management from all of those investment products they sell, and as this grows, it's becoming a more and more significant component of their, their total income on a yearly basis. What is spread off fixed income investments? Well, the, one of the biggest buyers of long-term fixed income investments are the insurance companies. You know, if you're going to uh, for example, retire in 40 years and you need X amount, well, you can buy a strip bond. And a strip bond usually is issued by a government and it's, it's, it compounds. It's stripped off by an investment firm. And I will get into uh, how strip bonds work actually in another show. But usually they're compounding government bonds. So you know what you're putting in today. And if I'm going to retire in 40 years, especially as rates go higher now, these are starting to get attractive again once rates go into 4 and 5% ranges, that you can, you'll know exactly what you're going to get 40 years from now as far as a dollar amount. Now, on an inflation-adjusted basis, you won't know. But insurance companies are one of the biggest players in the fixed-income market. And, of course, because they're big players in the fixed-income market, as rates go up, they have a spread between what they buy them at and what they 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 sell them to uh, investors in their various products, and that spread allows them to make more money. Okay, let's take a look at at the big Canadian players, and we've touched on a couple of these already. Great West Life, Sun Life, Manual Life. Which where do you want to start? Oh, Manual Life is uh, MFC. Uh, they've got a yield of four point nine percent. They're Canada's biggest insurance company. Uh, they've got exposure to Canada, Asia, Europe, and the U.S. Uh, they've been trading in a fairly tight trading range over the years. And, uh, in fact, they were $40 a share back in 2007. So, you know, they're trading at a little over half their, their all-time high right now. Great West Life, GWO, trades on Toronto, has a yield of 5.2%. So these are great dividends paying stocks. Uh, has uh, clients in Canada, Europe, and Asia. Is generally considered the most conservative of the big three. And uh, Sun Life, and I own Great West and Sun Life, this is generally considered to be the most consistent grower of the three socks. So Sun Life SLF is the big life insurance company. Its price is around 69 bucks, 11 times earnings, has yield of 3.8%. Interestingly enough, to give you an idea of how long these guys have been around, how durable their franchises are, they were incorporated in 1885. And they're known for their consistency. They're up 250% or three and a half times since 2000, plus their dividends. So they've done a great job. And wasn't, uh, I remember you mentioning on a previous episode when you were in Asia, you saw a Manulife sign somewhere in the middle of the jungle, right? Was it, wasn't oh, Manulife? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we went into, we were, we were floating down the Mekong River. Yeah. And we stopped in this little village that it was, uh, there was an electrical, uh, there was a diesel generator powering some electricity. And there was this huge neon sign. And it, it had manual life in English on it. And I'm going, we're way out in the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> these guys are selling insurance. And, of course, you know, for people in Asia, um, 
that don't have any insurance coverage whatsoever, you know, once they've got the basics, they've got a roof over their head and food on their table, uh, the next thing they, they want to get is protection for their family. And so these big, big insurance companies have found a very, very ripe market to grow in. And I think Asia is going to be uh, a propellant of their growth for many, many years to come. Okay, so what are our investment considerations here? Where, where should we start the short list, if you will? Well, I like the Canadian life companies because you can take advantage of the dividend tax credit. I mean, we're talking about dividends of 4.9%, 5.2%, 3.8%. So the dividend tax credit gives you a big advantage over interest. And so buy the Canadian life insurance companies because they're among the best managed in the world. You're not taking any currency risk. They've got great credit ratings. And you can take advantage of the dividend tax credit where you can't if you're buying U.S. companies. So if we want to buy some U.S. names in this sector, what do we look at? Well, I like the property and the casualty and reinsurance and specialty insurance sectors. And those are names like Berkshire Hathaway, Markel. And they're two very, very good examples because these companies have shown an amazing ability to invest their float very profitably and have grown enormously as a result. These companies don't pay a dividend, and so the advantage is, is that there's no tax until you sell. And I've owned Berkshire Hathaway, for example, for, I don't know, 15 years, and over that time, it's doubled and doubled again and doubled again and doubled again. And I've never had to pay a dime of tax on all that growth because they don't pay a dividend. Now, eventually, I'm going to have to pay tax when I sell it, but... In the meantime, I'm compounding $0.100 cent dollars instead of $0.75 cent dollars because I, it keeps compounding because I haven't paid any tax. When you sell an investment, you're as, essentially left with $0.75 cents on the dollar to reinvest of, of the profits that you've made because the rest is going to Ottawa. Okay, and, and right now, and we've touched on this, with <coughs> interest rates rising, um, and, and I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. There's a lot of debate about that, but insurance companies are good value when, when rates are going up, aren't they? Yeah, most have huge fixed income portfolios and are taking the premiums they get every month and reinvesting it in the fixed income. And so it's just logical that when rates rise, they can invest their portfolio in higher yielding securities, which allows them to make higher profits. A lot of safety in this sector too, right? That's something that every investor looks for. They want to know that they're putting their money into something that's not going to vanish overnight. And, you know, insurance companies provide that in spades. And in this sector, all you have to do is pick a few good quality names, uh, buy them on pullbacks, feed them over time, and just watch them grow. The insurance industry should be a part of any portfolio, really. And my humble opinion, and I think Ron shares that. <laughs> I do. All right, we're back again next week. And remember, if you have a question or a suggestion about a show, we're open to that. You can send us an email. Let's make money.ca is our website, and it'll go to our inbox. Ron will be happy to maybe answer. We'll perhaps include it in an upcoming episode of the show to focus on it. Or you can also reach us through our friends at cfcw.com, their website where the show is hosted. It's called Making Money. The financial coach is Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you again next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional.
The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.